And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, a special hello goes out to the director of media for the Boston Bruins alumni, Mr. Mark Boland. Nice to see you, Marky. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the home of behind-the-scenes interviews, stories, and memories that celebrate the heritage of the great game of hockey. The Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is hosted by Mark Willand. Our guest in episode 15 is a very interesting guy, Joe Norris. Now, Joe was a second-round draft pick of the Pittsburgh Penguins in 1971, also played with the St. Louis Blues and Buffalo Sabres, and where he really gained a lot of notoriety is playing for the San Diego Mariners and the World Hockey Association, where he had 92 points in the 1976-77 season. Also represented the United States in the 1976 Canada Cup. He's got a real interesting story. He's synonymous to a lot of hockey fans with roller hockey as his post-career rolled along. No pun intended. Uh, Joe, as I said, is an entertaining and engaging fellow, and we hope you enjoy our talk with Joe. We're back on the show with Joe Norse. Joe, thanks so much for being with us today. You're welcome, Mark. It's a pleasure. Uh, Joe, you grew up in Denver, Colorado, and at that time, obviously, uh, 60s, 70s, early 70s, not a lot of NHL players being produced for the United States. What was the hockey scene like back then in, in Denver, and um, what uh, got you started on your path to playing hockey? Well, growing up as a kid, uh, we grew up about, I'm going to say, five miles or so from the University of Denver. And the University of Denver um, had a great, great um, history, especially during the, the, the 60s. They won, I think, three or four national championships. And anyhow, both my parents are from Massachusetts, one from Quincy and one from Milton. Wow. And they liked, and they liked hockey. And so we would go to some of their games. And, you know, back in the, those days, um, I, like most kids, played multiple different sports, whatever season they were. So, you know, it was baseball, football, and hockey. And lo and behold, I just fell in love with the game of hockey and was just think it's the greatest game. I still do today. I still play. I think it's wonderful. Um, so anyhow, what ended up happening, our high school went on split session, and I went to school from like 7 in the morning till 11.30. And so getting to know Murray Armstrong, who was the coach of the University of Denver, because he started a youth program because he had a, an older, or a son, uh, Rob, who was a bit older than I am, and I was part of that, and so I said, hey, can I be the stick boy? So when I was 14 and 15, I got to be the stick boy for the University of Denver. My mom would pick me up um, from high school and take me straight to the rink, and I'd be there till dinner time. And the very, I kind of broke it down into four different seasons for me of the hockey season or of my time as a stick boy. Mm-hmm. So the first half of the first year, I got to just skate the drills at the end of practice with the team. Other than that, I had to work, sharpen skates, pick up stuff, do all the kind of stuff that Stick Boy does. Right. The, sec- the second half of that first year, I got to do some of the, the drills, whether it be like a two-on-ones or a couple of those. Then going into the next year, I got to do both the drills and 
uh, the skating at the end. And then the second half of that year, I got to do, I got the scrimmage a couple times, which was like, honestly, one of the thrills of my hockey career. Right. Be able to do that. I mean, it was freaking phenomenal. It was just, it was great. So anyhow, so as that was, was taking place, uh, you know, all, every player on the team was from Canada. Um, most of them from Western Canada, a lot from the Regina Pats and Saskatoon Blades because Murray had coached for the and played for the Regina Pats, and some were from Ontario. So it was a situation where all the guys are saying, hey, you know, if you want to come back here and play and end up making the team, you're going to have to go to Canada and get some experience, cha-cha-cha. So anyhow, I was first slated to go and play for the Saskatoon Blades because the, the great Keith Magnuson was on the team and he had talked to his parents and they were going to bill at me and go there. And then in talking to Coach Armstrong, he said, you know, I got to tell you, I played in the Western Junior League, but the travel is horrendous. Um, there's a couple guys on the team that, that are from Ontario. And so Tom Miller, who ended up playing for the Islanders, his, right. his mother and father-in-law were in Kitchener, where he was from, and we arranged a tryout with the Kitchener Rangers. And I went there as a 15-year-old, and the general manager of the team at that time said, hey, we don't want you to stay this year, even though you're good enough to play Junior B. We don't want to expose you to the midget draft. So nice. I went back to Denver for the rest of that year, and then the next year um, I went to play in Kitchener and stayed with, with Tom's in-laws, the schools. So one of my very first experiences there was going to training camp in Guelph and some really big gnarly dude came up to me and, <laughs> and he was an older guy and he said, hey, are you the American kid here to try out? And I said, yeah, I had a big smile on my face like it was kind of cool, right? Well, he just turned to me and says, well, why don't you pack your effing bags and go back home? <laughs> it's like something, like something you see in a movie. Thanks for the memories. Um, so anyhow, that was a former NHL player who had a great famous fight with Gordie Howe, and I'm not recalling his name right now, but anyhow, it was something. So that was kind of the start. I had asked the trainer who the guy was, and he told me, and so that was the American welcome to the Ontario Hockey League. I can imagine. Um, I mean, that took a lot of it. I had a, a similar conversation with Larry Plo, who went from Lynn, Massachusetts, to the Montreal Junior Canadiens. Yeah. Not, not easy being a young guy like yourself at that point, young man, and really getting out of your comfort zone in, in a big way, going from the U.S. to Canada in that environment where you know you're going to be tested. Uh, physically yeah, as, as well as a player. You were tested, and I really didn't know how much. So the first half of my first year there, I, I started out as a 16-year-old, and uh, I played for the Kitchener Rangers, the junior B team, and they had made me captain. Now, going back on it, they're going, okay, we're going to test this American and put a target on his freaking jersey and see what he can do. Right. Right. So um, that that was the majority of the first part of the year, and then it was coming to Christmas time, and you know it was pretty tough being away from home and all that, and 
I go to the general manager and I say, you know, Brent, I'm probably not coming back. I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. And it, it, it was one of the real discouraging things that earlier that week we had beat a team like 15 to one. And I was the only player on a team not to get a point. And it was on the radio. It's, you know, and I'm going, ah, this is just ridiculous. Right. And, and so then I said, I'm probably not coming back. He said, oh, that's too bad because I'm suiting you up for the Junior A team later this week and thought you'd be able to play Junior A the rest of the year. Well, that obviously changed my mind. So, you know, the, playing for the Kitchener Rangers that year was kind of a struggling year because the year before they had won the OHL championship and, you know, had, you know, Taychuk and Luce and, you know, a bunch of other great players, you know. And so it was a really rebuilding year, but um, it was it was a very, very eye-opening experience. Um, and one of the biggest eye-openers was going into the Montreal Forum and playing against the Junior Canadians with Cardiff, Ool, Perot, Martin, um, you know, could, uh, Bordalo. You could name another handful of guys that are probably half of them in the – Hall of Fame, but um, so I, I, I was just flabbergasted. I'm going. I've never seen hockey players this good, and I can imagine being on the ice, you know, and selling out the Montreal Forum and going, my goodness gracious, this is something. It was a very eye-opening experience because in Denver, I think I was the only kid in my whole high school that played hockey, and there was probably only you know fifty, a hundred kids in all of the Denver that that played hockey at the time, you know, so. It was a, quite a bit of an adjustment, and, uh, you know, things kept moving on, and then I was a little discouraged with my second year there and, and wasn't going to go back, and the Toronto Marlies had been offering me stuff. They had flown to Denver in the summer and, and stuff, and it was a, a very stacked team, and we looked like we had a very good chance of winning the Memorial Cup and cha-cha-cha, but... Um, it ended up we got beaten in the OHL finals by Marcel Dion and the St. Catherine Blackhawks. Right, that's understandable. But that team was uh, that you played on was stacked, as you said. Dave Gardner, Steve Shutt, Billy Harris, uh, Bob Daly. Um, now I read Steve, some West Steve Rick- Vickers, Steve Vickers, who was the rookie of the year in the NHL. George Ferguson, um, Steve Durbano. I think there was close to ten first round draft choices off that team so just the practices alone would have uh enhanced your your skill level uh playing against uh future nhl all-stars number one draft picks and in hall of famers as well um the and it, go ahead it was quite an experience although it kind of um i think hampered my career a bit um in that what happens is going there and we ended up going to the playoffs and we had not only Steve Gervano got suspended, a couple guys got hurt and I'd played the point on the power play. So I ended up playing defense throughout the playoffs and unfortunately got drafted as a defenseman and spent my first three years of pro bouncing around as a defenseman. Yeah, you talk about yeah, you talk about fate and things like that that happen. I was always curious about how that Trans, uh, kind of transpired for you going from a successful high scoring forward in junior all of a sudden 
getting uh, you know slated to defense. And actually, I think you were drafted by the Penguins as a defenseman. Yeah. Um, uh, but as you noted, uh, you felt that that hampered your your progress as a as a forward. Very much so, and I felt that really my best and most natural position was as a centerman, which it seemed I always would get bounced around from not playing center. Absolutely. Um, which was kind of weird, and I don't know if part of that was, you know, testing the American or, you know, I, I think back then especially it was like, we don't need a, a, an American to be skilled, we need an American to prove that he's tough enough to play with Canadians. Right. And that was a, a bit of an interesting <laughs> approach to life. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> it seems uh, people, you know, young kids have a hard time identifying with that, but that was certainly the culture at the time. Nonetheless, you get drafted high by the Pittsburgh Penguins and you, you make that roster. Uh, I was curious, you know, looking back, 71-72, I think your coach was Red Kelly that year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hockey Hall of Famer. And uh, one of the, the I, I wanted to ask you uh, about one of the most famous hockey players of all time, who's famous not only for being a hockey Hall of Famer and also his uh, business, which everybody recognizes, is Tim Horton. Um, yeah. What was your uh, your impression of, of Tim Horton? Well, Tim and I got along very well. He was a wonderful man. He was uh, he he was very kind to me. You know as you know, the difference in our age, you know, the, uh, I, I could tell you some stories that we had in common, but you know, one of the things is he, he had daughters or a daughter older than me that wouldn't talk to me cause I was too young. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting thing, but he was great. And, uh, then I later played with him in Buffalo also. Um, in my career, I, I, I worked in Pittsburgh with the Penguins in the mid-90s, of course, the Mario Lemieux, Yarmie Yager era. Uh, when you played, uh, it was a little different environment. Hockey was still in its early stages as far as the NHL was in, in Pittsburgh. Tell me a little bit about that first year. Do you remember your just the experience? Do you remember your first game and your first goal that year? Well, yes, I do very vividly because they were very – very interesting things, both of them. My very first game, we played against the Philadelphia Flyers in Pittsburgh as the home opener. Um, I forget which period it was, but um, a rookie for the Flyers named Pierre Plant scored a goal, and I happened to be sitting on the bench next to Brian Watson, who was just a notorious tough guy and just a, a very an instigator and everything you could ever talk about. So we're sitting on the bench and Pierre Plot scores a goal. Bugsy looks at me and he says, there is no effing way a rookie is going to score a goal in his first game against my team in my building and get away with it. <laughs> at that time, everybody was going back to center ice for the faceoff. The referee was getting the puck to give to Pierre. Bugsy jumps over the board, skates full speed into the, the face-off circle, cross-checks Pierre Plot in the face, both benches empty, and there's a massive brawl going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first game. Pierre was out for the first half of the year because of that. He broke his jaw, and, you know. 
Really? That I didn't, was it. So, didn't know that. So, so the next night or two nights later, we played in Buffalo and I scored my first goal. It was kind of a fluky goal, um, but it went in and I kind of got that out of the way in the second game so I didn't have to pay the price that Pierre did. Right. Um, that year, and I, I have a tape of it somewhere, you did play at a home, a home game against the Boston Bruins. I was just curious, um, playing against Bobby Orr, uh, if you recall that and what your, your thoughts were about Bobby Orr and his, his skill level. Um, it was awe-inspiring, to be honest with you. It's, there, there are great players, and, and from my point of view, there are a handful of players that are above the league and unquestionably Bobby Orr was one of them. You just stood there and you, you were mesmerized by his presence on the ice. It was just, it was unbelievable. It, you know, it was, he, was, he was in a different, he was in a category above the NHL. <laughs> and it, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, when you look at the tapes from those days, it's pretty amazing. It, you have to watch them if, 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 for your young fan. You do see the significant gap between him and even the greatest players. I, I was noting the other night that even in the Canada Cup, which we're going to talk about in, in a little while, uh, when he played for Canada in 76, he was basically playing on one destroyed knee and one badly damaged knee and still won the MVP. Um, back when you played against him in 71, 72 with the Penguins, he was pretty much at full strength and it had to be an incredible experience to uh, play against, be on the same ice as a, as a player like that. But, um, it was, and the, the, the first game that I played against him, and especially back in those days, the, you know, like the Bruins might get one or two new players a year, so the lineups were the same, and then watching them on TV. And so playing defense then, and, and uh, I, I guess it wasn't, I don't know if we played there first or the, in Pittsburgh first, but, um, and so anyhow, so I'm backing up as a defenseman. Someone on their team shoots the puck in. I sit there and I go, okay, there's Esposito, there's Hodge, there's Cashman. I turn around and I think I have some time. <laughs> Bang, right behind the net in our end as I'm picking up the puck or slams me into the boards. <laughs> I'm going, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're a defenseman. You're not supposed to forecheck that deep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So... So it was a very, it was just a thrill to be able to be on the ice um, with him, to be honest with you. Well, after the experience in Pittsburgh, it's kind of interesting. And I, you you go to the Western League, and there's two interesting stops for you. It's your first stop in San Diego, which, of course, will be the first of a few and a permanent one. And then coming back home to Denver, I think you're the first player ever from Denver to play for the Spurs in the, in the Western League end up with the Sabres briefly and talk to me a little bit about I, I, that experience now when you end up and I think it's 74-75 you end up in Syracuse uh, the American Hockey League um, what are your memories of, of that year because now you're in kind of a key point of your career at that point things can go you, you spend some time with the Blues spend some time in the Sabres organization and so at 74, 75, what's your thought process at that point? Uh, you, I'm assuming you well, get a chance to return to your natural position at center. Well, that was it. But leading up to that, it was kind of an intriguing little 
journey is is that uh, Red Kelly was really really hard on young players. Um, he was, and two that he seemed to pick on the most, so to speak, would be Rennie Robert and myself. So I didn't want to go back to, after they sent me to the minors, which, yeah, I'm like anybody else. I thought it was wrong, but, um, you know, I just, I don't want to go back there next year. So in training camp, I said, you know, I'd like to be traded if I could. So they sent me to the San Diego Gulls to be traded. I get traded to the St. Louis Blues. And at that time, you could only protect 16 players. So with the Blues that year, it was going to, it was, they flew my dad to, to St. Louis and talked to him. And it was between myself and Jean Hamel, who was going to be the 16th guy protected. Well, anyhow, um, they protected Jean Hamel. And then I was picked up in the interleague drafts by the Buffalo Sabres. And was there, had a great training camp. We started the season and we, we didn't win a game in training camp, like 10 games. We didn't win the first three games of the year. Joe Crozier, the coach, came in and said, geez, guys, um, they went to the finals the year before. He said, uh, you know, literally speaking, we only have two new players who I think are really going to strengthen our team, but I'm going to go back to the lineup that I used last year they went back and went on like a six or seven game winning streak and both Rick Dudley and I were those two players. And so things never really worked out for me there in Buffalo after that. And so I was still owned by Buffalo and I asked Punch Imlach, I said, Punch, I said, please just send me somewhere that I can play center. I don't care where it is. Just, you know, I can't deal with this anymore because it was a critical time and I was, just really frustrated. I was young. I had a lot of, you know, my, my legs were good then. Da, da, da. And uh, so they sent me to Syracuse and what had taken place was Joe Crozier, who was the coach in Buffalo had drafted me for Calgary in the world hockey association, right? which I didn't want to go. But then there was ties with the coach of the San Diego Mariners to the Syracuse Blazers um, and anyhow, one thing got to another, and I said, hey, if you can trade and get my rights in San Diego, I'm there. So um, what happened is that happened. We, I got traded to San Diego and, and went and joined the Mariners in the WHA and played as a centerman, started to have some real good success, and then the team folded and ended up going to Birmingham, where I had a major knee injury and you know, operation, a very unique contract at the time, um, which was that I became a free agent at the end of the year with no compensation. The only thing that Birmingham could do was match any offer I got. Right. Well, I wanted to just play the rest of the year. I was fit to play and the coach and owner of the team would just cut. They came to me in the hospital and said, Hey, sign another year. And then I said, no, let's just honor what we have. They came to me before I was ready to play my first game. Hey, sign another year. I said, come on, guys, let's just honor what we have. Because they wanted to get the – that's when they were going through that that era of signing underage juniors right. and good players and then selling us to the NHL. <laughs> and so anyhow, consequently, I didn't play much anymore, and they turned that into the gooniest team in hockey, and I decided not to go back, and, and there was a – a minor league team in San Diego that I joined and 
thought that was going to be a way to go off into the sunset for years, and then that team folded after a year. Right. I just wanted to swing back to the um, San Diego experiences. You now find yourself uh, on the WHA San Diego Mariners, 75-76, kind of your breakout year, uh, the first time that – you had a chance to really, you know, play a full shift to play at your position. Twenty-eight goals, forty assists, sixty-eight points. Talk to me a little bit about uh, th- that team because they were going through the, the financial struggles all year. You guys did, um, despite that team played well, uh, really strong down the middle with yourself, Ray Aduno, Andre Lacroix. Um, what was that first year of uh, World Hockey Association action like, and what was the caliber of playing league compared to? Uh, what you'd seen in the NHL? Well, from my perspective, I thought the caliber of play was really good. Now, I, I don't think it was... I, I think most of the, the good teams in the WHA were, I'm going to say, maybe middle-of-the-pack teams yeah. of the NHL. I don't think until maybe a couple years, the next year when Winnipeg really started doing stuff, when... Houston started doing stuff. Um, Quebec had theirs early on. Um, th- those teams were awfully freaking talented, you know. And we weren't far off with the Mariners. We had, you know, that the last year of the Mariners, we had a really, really strong, good team. You know, we took the Winnipeg Jets to seven games, and they ended up winning it. And some people saying that, you know, that was one of the best teams assembled in pro hockey. All right. What were your uh, impressions, Joe? And again, we appreciate the, the, the time today. What was your impression of Andre Lacroix, the all-time WHA uh, scoring king and the most prominent player on the, on the Mariners? Well, he definitely earned every al- al- or, um, accolade that he got. He was friggin' phenomenal with the puck. He had as good a vision as anybody in the game. And he he just made stuff happen. He had an edge to him that wouldn't take any guff from anybody. And he just knew how to set guys up. Um, it was really a, an amazing thing. And as time moved on, you know, I think it was my second year, he and I started killing penalties together. Mm-hmm. And it was absolutely the most enjoyable time I had on the ice because um, he and I were puck possession guys. We would weave in and out and do stuff. We, I think we had the best goals against record in the league and the second best goals for, you know, killing penalties. So, you know, that's that was something to me that was just, uh, you know, a thrill playing with him because he, he just, he was one of those guys that he actually said, do not call my name out there if you want the puck. <laughs> I know where you are. Now, that, that is adverse to every other player that plays almost. You know what I mean? Right. So he, he had that much awareness of, of everybody that was on the rink and where they were. And consequently, we did things out there that were just, it, it was truly the most enjoyable thing. Years later, I talked to him, and uh, we had a reunion here, and uh said, you know, Andy, that was like the funnest thing for me in, in all of hockey. He says, you know, Joe, it was for me too. 
And I said, really? And he says, yes, it was the most enjoyable thing that we did because we just went, we could literally get the puck and, and keep it away from the other team for a minute, minute and a half a lot of times. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was just so much fun. It was. I, when I worked uh, my early part of my career with the Whalers, and of course, Andre and, and Gordy were the key parts of our alumni team. We would go around Connecticut and play charity games. And even then, Andre would be, you know, four or five years beyond retirement. And he was just magic with the puck. And the thing is, he loved it. He loved to, he loved yep. to play. He enjoyed it. He enjoyed it so much. He loved his years in San Diego, of course. And, um, the Mariners team, I just you get uh, purchased uh, by by Ray Kroc of McDonald's uh, going into the 76-77 season. You have a tremendous year, 92 points, um, 35 goals, and but unfortunately the team uh, runs out of money, or actually doesn't run out of money. Ray Kroc loses interest, and uh, the Mariners go under, but. That team, I always get the sense that that was a, that was a, a pretty close knit team because you kind of you didn't know from day to day through the years of the, of the franchise whether you're going to get paid or not. And guys like Paul Schmier could have ba- bailed out at any point, um, but you seem to have a, a close knit group there in San Diego. We did. It was a very close team. It was kind of one of those teams that you look at in all of sports and you go, "We're not in a." market that gets any publicity because we're number one west coast number two we're san diego a small market you know it's not a hockey market and we all just enjoyed the quality of player and the competitive nature that all players had and the camaraderie that we had it was really it was pretty cool thing you mentioned uh earlier that uh obviously you ended up signing with the birmingham bulls and that team was notorious uh, from the beginning of the season, right around Thanksgiving, adding uh, Steve Durbano to the lineup with uh, Dave Hansen, Jill's Bad News Billado, Frank Beaton. Uh, had to be an, uh, quite a uh, unique experience playing on a team that was uh, so pugilistic, for lack of a better term. Well, for me, it was kind of disgusting, but there were things that did that as I started out that year having a, a great year I think I was fifth in the league in scoring and then I I got hit from behind and tore up my knee and I came back to San Diego for the first two weeks while I was in a cast and like you said I went back after two weeks the whole lineup had changed and they created the gooniest team known to mankind, known to pro hockey at the time. And it was really, it, it, it really kind of disgusted me to be a, to a certain extent. Not, none of the individual players in any way, shape, or form disgusted me. But when you start put that many guys together on a team and then you start having the coach, you know, tell them what they got to do to start the game and we'd have brawls in the first two minutes and, you know, it just – yeah, it was uh, really. It really changed the entire WHA that at that point. WHA was going when you they, the the Bulls traded uh, Tim Sheehy and Vaclav Nedimensky, two two skill guys, of course, to uh, Detroit, and brought in the tougher players. But then other teams had to match that. So the Stingers would bring in uh, Willie Trogonitz and Bruce Gregg, or and, and then yeah. uh, uh, it was, I think. The, 
the league took a step back during that, that time period. It's interesting, your perspective, having been out. And I remember, I believe, your first game that year, well, one of your first games that year was in Hartford with the Whalers, and you did... I reached over the glass as a kid, and you did sign your autograph on the back of my program, as a matter of fact. I remember oh, you wearing, cool. wearing your turtleneck. You know, one thing, and again, we won't uh, take too much more of your time, Joe. I wanted to go back to something I, for I forgot that was a very important part of your career, and that's playing for Team USA in the 1976 Canada Cup. You're playing against the top players in the world, Team USA, lightly regarded going in but uh, acquitted itself very well. Can you talk a little bit about the experience playing for Team USA? Well, it was a great experience because, you know, obviously it was, you know, who were considered to be the best U.S.-born players playing against. You know, at that time, Russia was Russia. Now Russia is, what, five countries that go to the Olympics or something, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, the same as Czechoslovakia. Um, so then you had... Sweden, Finland, Canada, the U.S., and it was just the, the most elite players out there, and we were able to show the hockey world that we we belonged as Americans, and, you know, we didn't necessarily, I think we ended up fifth in the tournament, but, you know, we, we tied the Czechs 4-2 against the Russians, 4-2 against Canada in the Montreal Forum with one empty net goal. Um, you know, so it was finally what, what had been said in some of the papers that it was the best U.S. team ever assembled at that time or up until that time. And, you know, obviously then the 80 Olympics came and we were not remembered anymore. So right. Well, it was kind of a big deal, you know, being a, being an American kid and seeing that team come together with some local guys, Freddie Ahern and uh, from, yeah. the, from the Whalers, you had Alan Hanksleben and Cap Raider and Gordy Roberts. And um, it was a... Um, it was a it was a it was a big thing back back in those days. And of course, you're playing against great teams. The '76 Team Canada team was probably the best team ever assembled, or at least one or one or two of them. You guys battled them very well as as well. When you um, you had mentioned it earlier, you concluded your career in San Diego in the Pacific uh, Hockey League, and your team was every every player on your roster because I, I had this discussion with Jerry Rollins. Pretty much every player on your roster had played in the, in the major leagues. And uh, yeah. unfortunately, just just in general, uh, it had to be a fun year, despite the fact that it was a, a startup league with a lot of financial insecurity. Yeah, it was great. Um, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was kind of for me. It's like, you know, as I said earlier, I was pretty disgusted with the 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 turn of events in Birmingham with how just how goony they went. You know, I wasn't. I, I, I'm not opposed to tough hockey and tough teams and stuff like that, but the Birmingham, they, they took it to another level. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I believe that, um, I believe that we set the all time quote unquote major league record for penalty minutes that the flyers had held. And we broke that record with 25 games to go in the season. Right. <laughs> Well, it's funny because when yeah, I when that. I when I worked with the Whalers, a lot of the old WHA files and films were brought along. And so one day in the summertime, I went back and I I, I dug up some old films, and it's it's all 
films that were sent to the league. It's Birmingham for suspension purposes, so the league could review it. And uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Steve Durbano, to be sure. One guy who played in that team, and I I, I work now with the uh, with the Boston Bruins alumni, and you know, one of our players, of course, is Kenny Linsman. Um, yeah. who you played with and he was just 18 years old at that time and um, but you stayed uh, in contact with Kenny because you share a, a common passion I believe in in surfing yes yeah it was something Kenny and I got along as players it was it was something that um, you know we connected out there I kind of looked at him with a, a, a very similar skill level is like Andre Lacroix. You know, he was right. a great playmaker, had great vision, and plus he had insane speed, you know, back then. It was crazy. But we were playing on a line together when he wasn't allowed, when he was allowed to play, because that was, he was the first guy to come as an underage junior. Right. And so uh, it, it was kind of thrill. And then he came out to San Diego that summer and saw kind of the life I was living and uh, he came <laughs> out I think he's been out here every every summer ever since <laughs> we've gone on m massive trips to Mexico Costa Rica um, Indonesia you know all wow. over you know surfing all over so he was just out here for my son's wedding a month or so ago uh, one other player I wanted to ask you about in that Birmingham team who ended up becoming a uh, two-time Norris Trophy winner and a Hall of Famer is Rod Langway. Uh, did, when you first saw him as a rookie player with Birmingham Bulls, did you uh, anticipate he'd become turn into that type of player? No. Um, I, I believed he was going to be a really good player, but um, he came into the league with um, a tremendous amount of confidence. He was a big, strong, physical guy. Um, yeah, a little awkward, I would say, then. But what happened then is, and it was kind of telling, and please don't get me wrong, he's way tougher than I ever hoped to be. Right. But he got in a fight um, that year and got freaking, you know, I mean, I think it was his first pro fight, and he just got hammered. And it kind of put him in a shell, and I think they sent him to the minors for a while after that yes. um, but obviously he rebounded and and uh, uh, you know I mean a phenomenal career but if, if you notice he didn't fight much in his career he played right. tough as hell but <laughs> mm -hmm. you know I think it was Serge Bernier or something for Quebec maybe that was who he fought I, I don't remember exactly Joe, as your career wound down and I, I associate you so much with uh, the sport of roller hockey and inline yeah. in inline skating, uh, talk a little bit about that. I mean, was is that something that uh, I know there was a uh, a real boom around the United States in, in the '90s for for both those categories? But uh, tell me about a little bit about your uh, involvement in that aspect of hockey. Well, when they started the RHI, which was the professional league, um, one of the founders of that league was the great Dennis Murphy, who also founded the WHA. Right. And and what Dennis did is quite often he would go to the cities that would open up and and he would, uh, you know, get in contact with the ex-players that, you know, he was familiar with. And he got in contact with with me and, and made me president of the team. And at that time, he had sold his interest in the league and became the major partner of 
the which was called the San Diego Barracudas. And uh, so I worked hand in hand with him for two years. But what happened, the first year was kind of short notice and I had never played inline hockey. And lo and behold, I was kind of fascinated by the game and the skill level of it. And then and I said, but you know, once this season is over, I've got to try playing this game and see what I really think of it. Right. And I did play it and I thought it was just, just a wonderful game. Um, I, I fought for the majority of players out there that didn't want to go. Yeah. You know, at some point, once you get into checking ice hockey, um, it's just not right for everybody. Right. And it doesn't mean, you know, and there's a lot of guys that I played with in Canada that you could see just once the real physical part of the game started, they just, it just wasn't for them. Absolutely. Um, And I'm, and I'm going, geez, the rules of roller hockey are just so conducive to, to just people playing the game because not everyone's going to make a living at it, you know? Right. And so I, I thought it was terrific. I was really disappointed that, at that time, the the NHL didn't embrace it more, and I'm sure there were business things as the two leagues um, tried to do stuff. But it, it was a shame because a lot of players, especially in California that I'm aware of, started out playing roller and then moved into ice and ended up having pro careers. You right. Know? So it, it's something that it's a great game, and if you look at the the rules of roller hockey, say in the mid to late 90s when that league was going and then you look at the rules in the NHL today a lot of the rules from roller hockey have been adopted to the the, the pro ice hockey right now you wonder about timing too I was as I mentioned before is in the Penguins organization at the time and one of the things that I had to do was help uh, promote the Pittsburgh Phantoms uh, of the uh-huh. RHI, and it was a it was a good product. I mean, it was it was it was it was off season, of course. We had I think we had Brian Trotche there and Jay Caulfield, and it was a good uh, it was a good product. And you wonder if you know, again you wonder about timing and execution and everything of that nature. But I, I like the RHI, and at, at this point, uh, Joe, you still you own a uh, a, a roller rink uh, in San Diego, I believe. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's been a, a little bit of a, you know, quite a bit of an enjoyable experience a lot now. It's, it's losing a little bit of flavor now because the, the whole roller hockey world is not picking up in the U.S. Um, you know, it's sort of on a little bit of a downslide. I think certain markets are better, but um, it's picking up tremendously in Europe. There's there's literally pro leagues in, I think, Spain, Italy, France. You know, now when I say pro leagues, it's it's not big money pro leagues, but right. there's there's guys from Southern California that are going over to these countries and playing, you know, and getting paid to play. You know, but I, I think the the mindset of the U.S. is not the same, and it's it's more it's not looked upon um, sort of looked upon as the ugly stepchild as opposed to just a great fun way to 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 play you know and some of the things that i really liked was you know back you know when my son was younger and coached his team in roller hockey it was the first time i had ever seen 
that a kid had played enough that they were done. We had this tournament series here, and we'd go up to L.A. and Orange County, and we'd play like a, a 740 game. We'd rest for 40 minutes, play another game, rest for 40 minutes, play another game, rest for 40 minutes, play another game. So you'd play four games against very good players right? and and, and be driving home at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's like, for a hockey player, for a kid, that was just like the funnest day you could possibly have. <laughs> right, and so much more accessible as well, Joe. You know, I, as you know, playing ice hockey is tough. It's tougher to find the ice. It's expensive as heck. And as you said, especially today with uh, concussion considerations and things like that, roller hockey solves and inline hockey solves a lot of those problems. Easier to play, it sure does. and it's uh, safer to play, and it's much less expensive, and it's accessible to those who may not have the economic ability to uh, to vote to ice hockey. So, without a doubt, and uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to coach um, Team USA in the World Championships and the World Games, and and you know, one of the one of the times we played the Czechs. The Czechs are really into the inline hockey, and we played a semifinal game against the Czech national team that had three current NHL players, two two players from the KHL, and we beat them with not a guy on our team that had ever gotten as high as the American Hockey League. (laughs) Amazing. It it is, and the, the skill level of the top inline hockey is unbelievable and you know part of it's because the guys don't have to worry about getting hit and part of it because there's a, a you know a little bit more room with the four on four instead you know but right i'm telling you the skill level is really something and and uh, you know a number of the guys the one kid that i coached here that plays for pittsburgh now chad ruil he would play both ice and roller you know with us and right. to me the co- the combination of the both for a kid developing is just absolutely fantastic. You, you you gain so many different things by playing both. You should, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's somewhat related, but it, uh, I was talking with Rick Middleton recently, and you know, he was talking about he played more street hockey and ball hockey than he did ice hockey growing up, uh, yeah. developing his hands. Well, that, and, and, and look at his hands. Right, absolutely. You know, you know what I mean. It's like, and, and it was something that the coaching youth in in ice hockey. Yes, it's fun, but it, it's you teach them different things because of the game. And and so many of the the parents that that I coached their kids, you know, went on to do well. But they're kind of question questioning me. You know, it's like. Why do you work so much on stick handling? Why do you work so much on skating? Why do you, you know, why, you know, why don't you teach him all these things you learned as a pro? And I'm going, you know, it's fundamentals. Mm. And, and that with all the puck handling you can do in inline hockey just helps to translate into your ice hockey game because in ice hockey, it's, come on, get it over the blue line, get it (laughs) over the red line, get it into the other end, you know, so it's. You know, you always have those poor kids that are just so jittery with their hands because they're afraid to do anything because they're just told, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it, you know? Right. Well, we, Joe, we really appreciate you. went a little overtime with us today, which we appreciate tremendously. This was uh, something I had looked forward to for quite some time, and um, 
I appreciate the time and look, we look forward to staying in touch with you as, uh, as things go forward and keeping track of uh, your uh, uh, roller hockey efforts. And um, again, thanks so much for spending your time with us today. You're welcome. I appreciate it. And uh, you named a couple, a bunch of my buddies back there on the East Coast that I haven't seen from Team USA, like uh, Freddie Hearn and Alan Hanks Laban. Play with both of them, so give a hi to them if if you see them for me. I sure will. I'll be seeing Freddie in a couple weeks, and I'll be sure to pass that along. Thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Have a wonderful one. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. Be sure to visit us at ProHockeyAlumni.org.